the theme of the program today was that Jesus, while we read about him clearly in the New Testament, he's predicted to come in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, we read about these wise men, these wise men who are wandering through the desert. They came from Persia. Uh, they, they wandered 1,000 miles following a star, and they get to Jerusalem, and they say, where is the one born king of the Jews? So Herod calls the scholars who knew the Bible, who knew the Old Testament. He calls the scholars, and it says, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and they pull out a scroll of the Old Testament prophet Micah. And they quote this part where it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. In other words, everybody before the birth of Jesus, was expecting a Jewish Messiah to come. They had all these Old Testament prophecies that they were looking for to be fulfilled in the birth of the Messiah. They knew exactly where he was going to be born. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, um, that's called prophecy. That's called predicting the future. Now, can I do a little uh, prediction of the future with you? Can we do a little trick to start today here? Take out a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, all right? This involves heavy math. Or if you have a calculator or a computer or a laptop or ten fingers, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Think of a number between 1 and 20. If you got a number, raise your hand. All right. Now, here it gets hard. Double it and add 12. Double it. That's multiply by 2. And add 12. Raise your hand if you're there. All right. Kids, they're there. The older ones are like, carry the 1. All right. So next, take your total and divide it by 2. You got your total divided by two? Okay. Subtract your original number. You with me? Okay. So now, convert your number to a letter. So if your number's a one, it's A. If it's two, it's B. If it's three, it's C. Okay. You got it? Everybody got a letter? No. <laughs> All right. I think we just lost about half of you. All right. So if you're on Z, that'd be 26, right? Okay, now, here's where it gets fun. Think of a state in the United States that begins with that letter. It doesn't have to be one of those letters, no. Any other questions? All right, so does everybody got a state? Now. Think of the third letter in your state and think of a color that begins with that letter. 
All right, here we go for the big reveal. Are you ready? If you're thinking, oh, wait, now, wait. Think of a large animal that begins with the last letter of the color you thought of. How are we doing here, Grandma? You got this? You got it? You with me? Okay. All right, here we go. If you're thinking of an orange elephant from Florida, raise your hand. <laughs> How did I do it? I, it's miraculous, isn't it? <laughs> the last crowd got a snake from Alabama. I don't know. But... Okay, so um, why did we do a prediction trick? Well, because... Uh, God predicted, he gave, he gave the people of, of, of Israel predictions so they would know that when Jesus showed up, he was the right guy. Now, um, scholars tell us that there are 60 prophecies in the Old Testament that all point to Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, some skeptics, they say, well... Couldn't he have arranged things to bring about the fulfillment of the prophecies? Well, he did do that in some cases. For example, when he rode into Jerusalem, he got on a what? A donkey. A donkey. Because one of the, uh, one of the Old Testament prophets says that the Messiah will ride a donkey into Jerusalem. So Jesus went out of his way to fulfill that prophecy. But... There are prophecies there's no way he could fulfill, unless he was God, which he is, right? Um, things like being born in a specific town, a little town called Bethlehem. And it's hard to pull that off when you're a baby in the womb, especially when your parents live 70 miles north in Nazareth. But God arranged it so Jesus would be born in the town of Bethlehem, according to the prophets. Let me, let me give you a, a handful of other prophecies that the Old Testament prophets predicted that were fulfilled by Jesus. Uh, first of all, he came from an exact lineage. When mankind fell into sin, God announced from day one that he would send a Messiah He's called a seed. And he needed to be born of a, an exact lineage. So of all the people on the planet, God chooses a man named Abraham. And he says, through you, Abraham, that Messiah will come. But that's not all. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And God said, the, the Messiah must come through Isaac, not Ishmael. Then Isaac had two sons. They were twins, Jacob and Esau. And even though Esau was born first, God said uh, Jacob would be the one through whom the seed must come. And then Jacob had how many sons? Twelve, right? And God said, through Judah, he's not the firstborn either, but through Judah must the Messiah come. And then, uh, through a, a whole long lineage of people, a king would be born, David. And through that lineage of kings, 
the Messiah would come. Now, what's interesting is when we read in Matthew's gospel, you know that genealogy that you skip over because it's boring? Guess what we see? We see this is Jesus' lineage. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And you go down here, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And then you read about all the kings. you got Solomon and all the way down here. And then finally we get here, verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. How do we know we've got the right guy? Well, he had to be born in Bethlehem. And he had to be in an exact lineage. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, King David. And he fulfilled those prophecies. Let me give you another one. Something very specific is said about his mother. We are told that his mother would give birth to him while still being a virgin. Now that's a tough one to pull off. In fact, here in Matthew's Gospel it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they came together, I'll let you figure out what that means, okay? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So this is a virgin conception. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Now he's going to quote from Isaiah, who wrote 700 years earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, which they, uh, and, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He had to be born of a virgin. Now, skeptics of the Bible, here's what they say. They say Matthew, who wrote this gospel, is being dishonest with you. Because in the original prophecy, it was written in Hebrew. Now, Matthew's writing in Greek, but it was originally written in Hebrew. And the word that Isaiah uses is Alma. Behold, the Alma shall conceive and bear a son. And that word Alma means a young maiden. Most young maidens were virgins, but it doesn't exclusively mean virgin. So they're saying, the skeptics are saying, that Matthew changed the word from young maiden to virgin to fit Christ's situation. What do we say about that? Well, interesting Before Jesus was born, 200 years before Jesus was born, a bunch of Jewish scholars got together and translated the Old Testament into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And when they translated this Isaiah passage, they chose the Greek word 
parthenos, which means virgin. In other words, they chose the Greek word virgin, parthenos, before Matthew wrote his gospel. All that to say, people were expecting the Messiah to be born of a virgin. It was predicted 700 years before Mary came on the scene and gave birth to Jesus. Let me give you another one. The specific time in history in which Jesus would show up is predicted. Now this gets a little complicated and I'll try to make it easy. Okay, In the book of Daniel, Daniel's an Old Testament prophet. Israel has been taken into captivity into Babylon because they've been bad. And God says, you're going to go back to Jerusalem, but I'm going to tell you something about the future. And God reveals this to Daniel. He says, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 weeks or 62 sevens. Stop all that. Stop right there. A decree is going to be proclaimed by a king that it's okay to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. From that decree until the coming of the Messiah, there's going to be this this strange thing, seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now, most everybody agrees that the sevens there refer to a period of seven years. So, um, if you start in the year 458 B.C., that's when King Artaxerxes said, go ahead and rebuild the temple. If you count seven periods of seven or 49 years, and then another 62 sevens, 434 years, that takes you right up to the year 26 A.D. when Jesus showed up in public ministry. That that covers 69 of the 77s that Daniel prophesied. Now, there's some debate. Jesus is cut off in the middle of this last seven years. Some people say that um, the life of Jesus and his death fulfills all 70 years. Others say, no, that last 70th week, that last week of seven years is still future. Let's not even worry about that. Here's what I want you to see. It says, Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. After the Messiah is cut off, killed, Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. That took place in 70 A.D. All that to say, the Messiah needed to come right around the exact time Jesus Christ showed up. And he needed to come before 70 AD, before the temple was destroyed. Um, guess what? We've got the right guy. Okay? One last one. The person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. He would be, according to Isaiah, again Isaiah, 700 years before the the time of Christ, for to us a child is born. So we're talking about a human being here. The Messiah is going to be a child. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Stop right there. Here's the prediction that a human baby will be born, 
and he's going to be a godly king, but not only is he going to be a godly king, but he's going to be a king who is God. Mighty God. Now, um, you know the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus is God. And they, uh, in fact, did you hear the story about the Jehovah's Witness? He knocked on the guy's door, and the guy said, hi. And the Jehovah's Witness said, um, I'm with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Can I come in and share something with you? And the guy said, all right, come on in. And he sat him down at the kitchen table, and he got him a cup of coffee, and he sat down, and uh, the gentleman said, now what? And the Jehovah's Witness said, I don't know, I've never been this far before. All right, so the Jehovah's Witnesses, they say that this is referring to Jesus. He's called Mighty God, but they don't believe he's God Almighty. They believe um, he is a powerful spiritual being. And other people in Scripture are called God, like Satan. It says in, in uh, Second. Second Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Uh, their scripture refers to Satan as the God of this world. So they say Jesus is a God, but he's not mighty God. What are we to do with that? Well, if you just keep reading Isaiah, Isaiah 10, it says, In that day the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but they will lean on the Lord. That's the word Jehovah. So that's God Almighty. The Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return the remnant of, of Jacob to the mighty God. Clearly here, Jehovah, God Almighty, is called mighty God. Jesus is called mighty God. So this Messiah must be born in Bethlehem of a virgin during the exact time period that he showed up before the destruction of Jerusalem. And he must be a man and God, all in one. Now, one last thing, and then, then we'll be done with, with this, okay? Can I borrow that? Thank you. All right. Um. <laughs> I want you to remember six things about Jesus. He was crucified. He was pierced. Remember the word pierced. Who's fun? He was, now here, folks, I want you to hear this. Here's the most important thing you're going to hear this morning, other than the Jehovah's Witness joke. He was nailed to a cross as our substitute. The good news of the gospel is this. You have a substitute. The bad news is this. You're not good enough to go to heaven. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all deserve to go to hell. I told you I'd get it in, right? We all deserve to go to hell. But Jesus was crucified as your substitute. And when you believe in him, his death on the cross covers you. Christianity is not be a good person and try and earn your way to heaven. Christianity is realize you're a bad person who could never go to heaven. That's why Jesus came to be crucified in your place, and all who believe in him will be saved. That's the gospel, okay? Now, he was pierced. He died as our substitute. As he stood trial before his accusers, he was silent. He didn't defend himself. 
When he was crucified, he was crucified between two wicked thieves. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And as he was hanging on the cross, he prayed or interceded for those who crucified him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now you go, why are you going over this? Well, in Isaiah chapter 53, again, written 700 years before Christ was born, it talks about a suffering servant. Tell me who you think this is. Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Notice the language of substitution. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're all sinners. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he was pierced and he is our substitute. When he was oppressed and afflicted, uh, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was silent. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Folks, Jesus is the Messiah. How do we know? Prophecy. Over 60 major prophecies are all fulfilled in Christ. Uh, there's, a, there's a statistic. I've shared it before. I'll share it again. Um, Somebody by the name of Peter Stoner did the math, and he said, if you were to take just eight of the prophecies predicting the coming of the Messiah, he, he ran the numbers to see what the odds were of anybody randomly fulfilling just eight of those 60 prophecies. And here's, here's the chances. The chances are one in 100 million billion. And the analogy is if you take the state of Texas and you fill it two feet deep with silver dollars and you put a mark on one and mix it in. You ever been to Texas? It's kind of big. Right? And then you skydive out of a plane blindfolded and you randomly pick out one of those silver dollars. The odds of getting the one with the X are the same odds of fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. Then they ran the numbers on the chance of one person fulfilling 48 of these prophecies. It is one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. You go, how big is that? Well, it's equal to the number of atoms in a trillion, 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 billion universes the size of ours. We have the right guy. Okay? The question is, do you have Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? He came to die on a cross to pay for your sins. Here's how you get saved. Here's how you're saved. You realize you're not good enough to go to heaven. You realize you have violated God's law. And you stop trusting in yourself. And you hear the good news that Jesus died to pay for your sins. And you place your trust in him. That's called believing in Jesus. And all of your sins then are paid for on the cross and all of his goodness is given to you. And God sees you as perfect and he adopts you as his own child into his family. And when you die, 
And you stand before him and he says, why should I let you into heaven? You know what your answer is? You shouldn't, but I believed in Jesus. You say, I'm with him. And he says, welcome in. Have you trusted in Jesus? Let's pray. If maybe this is the first time you've understood that message. Maybe it's the first time you've really seen that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Maybe it's the first time you've really been convinced that He fulfilled these prophecies and He is the right one. But you're ready to believe. What do you do? Trust Him. Just say to Him, Lord, I am a sinner. And I believe with all my heart You are the Savior. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. I refuse to trust in myself and I trust in You as Savior. Lord, I pray that this Christmas we would have true joy, not based on presents, not based on the superficial things of Christmas, but based on knowing you, the true Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.